Have you heard the birds sing, the trees breathe, and the rain fall? The stories we tell ourselves are what create our reality. Hi, I'm Julia, your host, and you're listening to Terra Stories, the podcast that will awaken your mind to new perspectives, to reconnect to yourself, to nature, and to become an actor of change in tomorrow's world. The qualities that make a forest a forest or a desert a desert it's that same envelopment that feels like it's breathing it feels like when you walk into a forest or a park or a, a natural space that is again just encapsulated in its own it feels like it's breathing you can feel the pulsing environment and it's not just the tree it's not just the soil it's not just the plant it's everything it's the fact that you are enveloped in this natural space which is breathing entirely on its own and if breathing is not the word then pulsing or vibrating or something something is clearly happening when you step into these spaces and you're able to feel the vibration of you know a space after a long journey that took her from writing poems to strangers to the shakespeare and company bookstore cafe in paris and to an immersive writing experience in a forest in Sweden, Billy Marie found herself back in her mother's garden. This is a man-made woods. Billy Marie recalled a phrase that had struck her during her time in Sweden. Man-made, she thought. Meanwhile, her mother, wise and attuned to nature, understood the needs of her plants instinctively, without relying on science or other methods. Witnessing her mother's connection with nature, Billy Marie felt compelled to pass on this knowledge to her own daughter. What could be more beautiful than nurturing the dream of a greener world, where such a connection is not only cherished, but also achievable? This is why she decided to create her own dream, a forest oasis in the desert. How did she reach this point? Join us as we dive into Billy Marie's beautiful journey. Thank you so much, Billy Mari, to, to be here on Terra Stories. I'm very, very happy to have you here. It's been a while. I'm just seeing what you, the amazing job you're doing. And I can't wait for you to explain this to, to the listeners. So if you want to first introduce yourself to the audience. Hi, I'm Billy Marie. I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And I am part of a global collective that has a dream of planting trees in the desert. And would you like to share a bit about your childhood? What is the cultural relationship between your country, your community, your family and nature? 
I grew up in a suburban part of Los Angeles. That means it was a neighborhood with lots of kids, lots of families. We had a lot of fun just running in the streets, biking, playing tag. One of my favorite things to do, even though it, it sounds so simple, uh, was to find a secret hidden spot underneath a neighbor's tree and wait there while everybody was playing hide-and-seek. So it was, it was kind of like our own little tiny forest, which was a lot, of, a lot of fun. And your family, did you feel like they were teaching you things about nature? How, how was their relationship to nature? I'm West African and Filipina. That means that in the States or in the U.S., I do have the history of coming from enslaved people who worked on the land and were taken from one location to another in order, you know, in the name of capitalism. So that, that is part of my story, which I, I, I honor and respect the survival of that. Another part of the story is on my mom's side. She comes specifically from a village in the rural part of the Philippines. That means jungle, that means lots of trees, rivers, just growing throughout the entire community. My childhood was a little bit different from most people's in Southern California. My mom was very active with growing a garden in the backyard and in the front yard. This was not a typical green lawn garden. This was a garden full of fruits and vegetables. That expanded when I became older and my mom eventually took over the entire, the entire yard space and converted, with the help of my brother, our suburban lawn into a food forest, which we still have and maintain today. I think the seeds of that and seeing this food forest essentially blossom, especially in the middle of the pandemic, That helped inform everything that I'm doing today. And I can't wait for you to explain more about this. But before there are important steps. So the little Bini Mari grew up and then she wanted to go to Europe. Can you explain a bit this part of your life and what happened there? Oh, of course. After college, I graduated with a degree in film as well as poetry. I ended up getting a used typewriter, a pink 1950s Royal, and I had this desire to travel while typing poetry. I met a lot of amazing people just in my, my neighborhood, in my town, the first event I went to was a farmer's market and an art walk where I typed free poems for people. That experience helped pave the way for me just to travel throughout the, the country and later on the world. Someone told me that I should, <laughs> while I was working in New Jersey at a bookstore, someone told me at the register while I was checking out their book, that I should try to get to Paris because there is a bookstore where they host writers. 
that stayed in the back of my mind. And I eventually did get to Paris and stayed for about three weeks before I left to follow a woman I had met in Paris. Her name's Andrea. She invited me to this sort of writer's community in the remote wilderness of Sweden. And of course, I, I said yes. I, I traveled to Sweden completely spontaneously and joined this small community of writers. It was really wonderful. I stayed there for, I think, about four months uh, before my, you know, before I needed a visa to stay longer. This really sounds like a, sorry, but that really sounds like a, a movie, you know? Yes, it is. It, it really does. Yeah, you're in the US in a bookstore <laughs> and they're like, go to Paris. There is this bookstore called I Shakespeare. Know, I know. It was something. so sweet. It was, oh, it was so sweet. I didn't even talk about all the other little, you know, people would, um, one woman I typed for Mona, she actually gifted me a postcard from Paris during the time when I was still in the U.S. And that was, you know, another catalyst to, to say, okay, let me actually try to make it to, to Europe. But Sweden was completely by accident. And that's where I came into the awareness of, you know, oh, it is possible for people to just plant trees and grow their own versions of forest. And this is a thing that people all around the world do. Yeah, that was your first experience in a in a forest being there and understanding it do you feel like now you're without saying too much about your project right now but do you feel like now you uh use some of the things you learned in sweden in your actual work hmm oh that's interesting i think not as much as you would think it was more like the start of an epiphany that you know a person could just Plant trees, and this particular forest was specifically for harvesting lumber. So I obviously was trying to think beyond that, and I, I think the, the the woman who invited me to stay, her daughter, was around my age. She was a little bit younger, and I remember we were walking through the forest together to get back to her cabin, which was about forty minutes away. And she just randomly looked at me and said. We live in a man-made woods. And I thought, that is so beautifully poetic. And I had never conceived of that idea before. And then you had a second trigger moment that was very important in your life. When you left the uh, Swedish, we say, woods. When in your mother's garden and there you had an important moment. Do you want to, to tell us more about this? Years later, when I came back to the States and also came back to Los Angeles after living in Philadelphia for a number of years, the pandemic obviously happened. But that same month, my daughter was born and my father passed away. All of my, my plans completely shifted. So I, I shifted from working in tech to starting to think about how I could work specifically with nature and, and have that be part of my daily experience. The catalyst was staying with my daughter at my mother's house, so three generations of, of women. And to be quite honest, walking and 
breastfeeding in the garden and looking up and watching, you know, a newborn growing up and experiencing nature through my daughter's eyes, that really woke something up inside of me that said, well, this is, this is the core of what it means to be human, to be able to observe and find these little precious spiritual moments with nature and how naturally we, we do that, especially as young babies and young toddlers. You know, we have this natural urge to pull at fruits and to pick up sticks and pick up rocks and pick up leaves. So I wanted to every, hold that. Everything is magical. Yeah, everything is magical, <laughs> nicely said. And it's it's it was very beautiful and precious to be able to experience that. So I, 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 I'm very grateful to my mother for opening her house to, to me and my daughter, obviously, but to for planting, you know, this garden 15 plus years ago. Who knew that in the middle of the pandemic it would become this oasis where we could just... Yeah. Escape from uh, the reality. Yeah, nicely said. Yeah. Nicely said. I feel like you have this artistic personality uh, and you're very poetic. And I think that this poetry makes you see nature in a certain way. Because I think that you see poetry in nature, you see beauty in, in nature. So I don't know, this is just a thought, but do you think arts? can open up people's mind and see nature in, in this kind of ways? I come from a creative background, but I'm also very creative and resourceful by nature. It's one of my greatest strengths, I think. I, I honestly believe that all humans are capable of incredible creative solutions if we are encouraged and actively seek that out. My friend, Rashonda, who has helped us plant, I've helped her plant on her land. She once looked at me while we were at the land and tending to the garden. And she said, you know, this is your canvas now. This is your, this is your artwork. And I thought that's such a beautiful way to look at it. And most people are not going to be able to see that. But it is, it is true in the same way that I would tap into something when writing a poem for a complete stranger. I am tapping into something in order to harvest even the ability to conceive of a dream that is in a, you know, against a lot of our odds. So it's, it's really beautiful to be able to have shifted different mediums and, and think about earth care as not just an artistic practice, but earth care as a spiritual act. That's so beautiful. And I think that's also this shows that it's your artwork because it's there because you, with your all your past, all of the things you learned, there is a bit of also your mom in it, her garden. And I think that all of these pieces makes the whole piece of art, let's say. If we can now dive more into uh, your reforesting project. First, maybe if we can just think together of what is a forest for you. What, what, how could you explain what is a forest? I've been having trouble communicating what a forest is to me because there's such a, a prevalent notion of what a forest is throughout the entire world. So when I personally 
think of a forest, and this has not always been the case, right? I, I, I used to think that a forest is just this huge mass of land that is an ecology based upon the network of trees and plants interacting in such a way to bring forth life. I still believe that, but now on a much smaller scale. So if, if you were going to ask an ecologist or someone who studies this, what a forest is, their answer is going to be very different from my answer, which is more rooted in the idea of uh, what is a forest spiritually and what is a forest artistically. For me, a forest spiritually is a place of respite. And it's weird to think about that because there's so many, <laughs> there's so many notions of wilderness being dangerous and, and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, I think for me, a forest is when it feels like you are walking into a place where nature is undisturbed. That's what a forest is. And I might change this language in the future as I get older, but for now, a forest is when you walk into a natural space and it's just completely undisturbed. You can hear the silence and it's not even silence, right? You can hear all of creation just molding together in such a beautiful way and there's no disruption of that. That's that's what a forest is to me. It's so beautiful and I, I really liked when you said that maybe in the future this idea you have of a forest will evolve. Do you think that it would be because you will have experienced different things uh, within the forest? Why do you think that? That's such a good one. Well, I, I know for, for example, I recently shifted because I started to notice whenever we would plant little tiny patches of what we would call a garden, or we wouldn't, maybe as humans, we wouldn't even call it a garden. We would just call it, oh, there's a couple of plants here. But for the little tiny insects that out of nowhere, right, just randomly appear, this is their little tiny forest. And who am I as a human to just say that this is not a forest with these little tiny creatures? Of course, you know, there's the scientific aspects, which I'm not going to touch because I'm not a scientist. But as a creative person, as an artist, as an empathetic creature of the universe, I think it's very beautiful to be able to say, well, for this, you know, specific type of moth, who is for some reason attracted to this little place of nature where they never came before, right? We have been doing this for years and it wasn't until we started seriously planting in the desert that I saw all of these creatures come out from almost out of nowhere. Seeing, seeing that completely transformed my ideas of, of what, you know, what it means to be a sanctuary or a, na a natural space or even just It's 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 so hard to explain, but it's <laughs> no, but it's it was beautiful and I it makes so much sense and I feel like science is very good. <laughs> we need yeah, science, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, I feel like sometimes we forget also other aspects. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. As you were saying, spirituality and just what comes from our creativity. So I think it's beautiful mixing the science with this kind of ways to see the nature around us. And that's what you're doing. So we recently planted a tiny forest or a pocket forest 
this is known as like a, the Miyawaki method, which is a type of planting specifically for um, increasing biodiversity and quickening the lifespan of, of a forest. So we were helped by a number of different organizations like EcoSeek and AForest and Urban Forest of Pakistan. But one thing that the founder of AForest, uh, Subendu, told me, he said that forests are these self-sustaining ecologies. And if you have to constantly give it nutrients for it to survive, then it is not a forest yet. That also shifted my ideas of what a forest is, right? Because we could easily plant a million trees and keep watering them forever. But if it's not this established network of all of creation coming together to support itself and be this independent mesh, that's what I keep thinking of, independent mesh of creation, then it is not truly a forest because it is not able to self-sustain it. That blew my mind. That that made me think about what we're doing in a different light too. Yeah, and this changes so much from the Western worldview where we think that we can control and replant trees. And because I feel like a lot of countries are like, okay, we're going to just destroy the mm. forest for agriculture. Yes. But then we're going to replant the trees. And you're like, yeah, the idea yeah, of but change. No, no yeah. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. That is wild. Yeah. So if you could describe your foresting project what obstacles did you encounter how did you overcome them for every star tree is our attempt at cultivating a forest in the desert it sounds it sounds silly when you think about it on a practical lens but if you go back to the idea of a natural space just being this place of respite and sanctuary for humans as well as for creatures large and small there's there's something that has been pulling us along as we keep cultivating and maintaining these tiny gardens which will hopefully one day grow into forests i think when i close my eyes and i think about the first time we were in the desert it was my birthday i had encouraged my family to drive up with me to see this land and see what was there in the desert. Because it was my birthday, they all agreed, but they wouldn't have come with me if that wasn't the case. We ended up planting a small bucket of compost that I had in the backyard of the car. By planting that, I think it really established my personal relationship with this particular plot of land, but it also established what collectively I wanted to kind of gather, which is a community of people who are interested in earth care as a spiritual practice, as a human practice, an artistic practice. But at the, at, at the end of the day, earth care as our primary function, which is a very strange concept for, for me as a person coming from tech to you know, to wrap my head around, but I have fully shifted into that. And I, I know it's because of 
my relationship with the land and coming back to it over and over and over again and staying there and camping there, living there, hosting there, you know, planting and watering and finding resources in order to keep this project going. My, my relationship with that, as well as with the stars, the stars play a big role in it too. It's completely has shifted what it means to be, you know, a, a climate story. And for, for me personally, there's something very special about the idea that this is a dream that we are passing on to the next generation. And by attempting to bring forth this dream, there is something human, humanly essential about keeping that, that spirit alive so that as the world continues to do as the world does, people can still reach inside of them and say, okay, well, I'm capable of dreaming beyond this and I'm capable of bringing forth life into the world in this beautiful context. This is so beautiful. <laughs> and I, I love it. And this is really what I, it resonates a lot with me because that's what I, I want to do through storytelling is making people imagine a better future. You said that also the stars. Nice. Good catch. You have a great, you have a great sense of story. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about mm -hmm. uh, how the stars are important in this. Project. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think <laughs> when people think of the desert, their first thought is going to be, oh, it's vast, it's barren, there's nothing here. That is absolutely not the case, but you can't experience that until you're in it. There is, for instance, the silence is a quality that is not the silence we're thinking of. It is such, it's such a rich quiet that feels like you are Once again, just like when you step into a forest and it feels very much like there is an undisturbed nature there, when you step into the desert, there is an undisturbed silence and quiet there that feels very much like it's holding you, it's, it's, it's hugging you, it's caressing you, it's, it's like a, it's, it, there's something there when it, it's taking care of you in a way. The same thing happens when you are looking at the sky. So sunsets and sunrises, because they are so in, uninterrupted. I know that people can tap into what I'm saying because we've collectively experienced sunrise and sunset. But one thing that was very personal for me was the stars. I obviously, I, I, I grew up in Los Angeles where there is a lot, <laughs> a lot of pollution. There's a lot of smog. There's a lot of light pollution, and that completely affects your ability to see the stars. When I drive to the desert, I'm still, even after years of doing this earthwork, I'm still blown away by the quality and the clarity of these beautiful constellations that are just always there. There's, there's always the ability to, for me to stop watering at night And look up and catch a shooting star to see parts of the Milky Way to find all of my favorite constellations. There's always this ability to just stop what you're doing and lie down on the ground and look up and fall into the sky. It's actually 
It's actually very, very beautiful. Actually, my friend, my friend Eddie, we were out there in the desert one night and we were lying down on the ground looking directly up at the stars. And he said, it's really fun to be able to imagine gravity turning off and drifting up into the stars and kind of watching as a world and its spiritual shape is you know, shifting perspectives. And I think, oh, that's another epiphany, right? We need the ability to physically experience and turn off our, our, our current perspectives so that way we can imagine different perspectives and the ability to, you know, pretend to fall into the stars, for instance, um, is such, again, a core part of what it means to be human. Yeah. And that's so beautiful. And that makes so much sense because I love watching sunsets and, oh, and this is really the moment I'm in, whoa, you know, and that I'm very grateful. I'm, what, what you were saying, like when we're seeing the sunset or the stars, it's always a moment when we press pause and we just, rethink of our place on earth and we're like whoa i'm nothing <laughs> it's 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 so big and sometimes i'm watching sunset with my friends and i'm like do you imagine that it's earth that is uh turning and it's yeah, not the sun wild. that is just that is living, so you know yeah <laughs> no you're right you're right if you want to maybe explain a bit the location how it looks looks like maybe if you want to explain also what you do on a daily basis even if i i'm sure this changes with the seasons the days but if you want us to imagine a bit what, what you're doing there and what it looks like on a day-to-day -day basis we arrive at the desert or we sleep at the desert and we start our day early in the morning We catch the sunrise, and the goal is it's usually to water as many plants as we can before the sun peaks over the mountain. That's because, of course, once that happens, then the land is experiencing evaporation differently, plants are experiencing differently, and the soil is experiencing it differently. So we try to aim for the time before the sun officially rises and creates all that heat which will soak up the water i wanted to ask you what trees are there what plants like just for the people to see oh i love it no <laughs> that's so good that's such a good question when we first came to the land it was mostly creosote bushes everywhere just everywhere There was one or two Joshua trees. We have one towards the center of the land and a couple younger Joshua trees around the outskirts of the land. But that was, that was essentially, that was essentially it. I think there's, we started planting based upon the community's advice, which is to plant naturalized trees. So we started with desert pines, which, you know, everyone in this desert community has at least one desert pine. We started with that. What we noticed is that it required more care 
and was not as well adapted as as we were led to believe. So we shifted away from pines, desert pines specifically, towards native plants in that region. And by doing that, we saw an increase, this is funny to say, we saw an increase in pests. So we saw an increase, and I hate to call it pests because that's not actually what they are, but we saw an increase in creatures who are eating all of the plants that we plant. So all the rabbits, you know, would completely demolish the garden. All of the grasshoppers, we had a grasshopper infestation this year. Everybody in the desert did. And it completely wiped out, you know, a variety of, of native plants that we had planted. We have mice that will eat everything. We have birds, but, you know, a little bit less so compared to a rabbit uh, destroying an entire garden. Because we planted native plants, it attracted a lot of creatures from the desert. I learned to balance the ecology of what we were trying to accomplish or trying to envision with the current reality. So the, f- the first thing I did was actually inspired by something I had read, I think, in um, like a Vedic tradition or Hindu tradition. I gathered all the mice that had accidentally (laughs) died in a bucket because they were trying to climb into the bucket and couldn't get out. I gathered all those mice and I put them in the south side of the property where eventually rattlesnakes would find them. And I think by doing that, I tapped into the idea of, oh, okay, I can kind of redirect energy on this part of the land and maybe I can cultivate a specific purpose for this part of the land that is different from planting and different from building or gardening or growing. So the purpose of that spot became, okay, let's feed the rattlesnakes any mice that we find that are already, you know, deceased, already done. Um, We'll just put them here because that will do two things. One, that will create an environment where rattlesnakes, the natural predator of mice, are coming to the property, but they're only coming to the specific part. So they're not harming us, we're not harming them, and they get fed in a way that they cannot get fed anywhere else in the desert, right? So that actually helped a lot, and I would watch as day by day, night by night, the mice that I would put there would disappear, so I knew it was working to an extent. On, on another side of it, on the north side of the property, so complete opposite, if the southern site was kind of like, the death and compost site, then the north site, uh, specifically the northeast, was sort of like the life and the life-giving aspect. So we would put all of the trash from different visitors who camped out either at our tiny house school bus or they camped out in their car, they camped out in their tent. We would collect their trash, which was usually packages of food, and put them in a trash bin that is a little bit skewed so that mice would be tempted to go to that trash site rather than the garden. So it's a little bit, (laughs) this took months of trying to figure, I, I, for months I was trying to figure it out. I couldn't figure out how to get them to stop gnawing at the garden. And it wasn't until doing that 
that completely changed the game. So they started leaving the gardens alone and just going for, you know, the pizza slice that somebody <laughs> left behind. <laughs> it's it's cooperation. You're you're cooperating. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. And they're choosing, you yeah. know, they're making the choice of like, well, you know, I they don't can want be this. like, I prefer the garden. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Like exactly. Pizza. And it's the same thing with the rattlesnakes, right? That I prefer to not yeah. be disturbed. Uh, so I'm just going to go for this buffet over here. It's the same thing with the mice. You know, they prefer to not be disturbed. So they're going to go over there. What do you think for now is your, the best piece of wisdom you gained from this project? I'll be honest. So the first thing that popped into my mind is my mom. So my mom, I know through the lens of a nurse and as a gardener, someone who, you know, worked her whole life in hospitals and would use gardening as a form of relaxation, like most people do. Through doing this project, I have been able to see her less of those things and more as a an extremely masterful and advanced expert in understanding how to balance ecologies. And I I think her ability to tap into, you know, how much water is required for a particular plant where a particular plant should be planted and her ability to do that instinctively rather than, you know, academically or scientifically or theoretically, she's able to just naturally piece together parts of the puzzles that I haven't even fully wrapped my head around. I think I've learned so much from my own mother in ways that, you know, in all of my 30 plus years of living, I had not seen this side of her before. So that was a huge blessing to be able to say, oh, okay, so this is where I get it from. Obviously, my my mother has this quality. The second thing I would say is my daughter. I've, I've said this before with, you know, her experiencing my mother's garden as a newborn that completely shifted my frame of reference. But her as a toddler now, exploring the desert, right running with the dogs playing in the sand like her ability to be completely free in this natural environment that's uninterrupted i see how i as an adult interpret it but she as a kid interprets it on an entirely new level and that's not just my daughter i've seen families who stay at our tiny house with small children they all react the same way. They want to physically move. They want to run. They want to yell. They want to scream. They want to be part of it in such a way that's like boundless joy. They just want to express that joy in any way that they can. And it's such a beautiful lesson for me as a super reserved person sometimes. It's, it's a good reminder that, oh yeah, I can experience this joy internally But I, I, even I still have my reservations about expressing it externally. So it's such a good reminder when I see my daughter just naturally doing that. When I see other kids who come to visit the property doing that, they're all able to, to tap into this, I want to say like a spring of joy that they just exude when they're completely free and unburdened by any sort of rules. It's very beautiful to be able to witness both sides of that through my mother who is obviously older and through my daughter who is 
so young to be able to see that those two expressions and then balance that as as the person in the middle. If you could advise to the listeners something, how how could they reestablish a, a connection with nature? How could they feel what you you were you were saying, even if it's very personal? There's so many ways to do this. I know the way that works for me, and I can I can share that. But I do want to honor the fact that scientifically, people have figured out. You know, okay, here's how awe is manifested. Here's how dopamine comes into play. Religiously, people have figured out, okay, here's how meditation and prayer comes into play. I, again, as just a single individual, just as Billy Marie, for me, I'm able to tap into that same sense of awe and gratitude and reconnecting with nature. I'm able to do that simply by just standing still and observing And observing to the point of turning myself inside out, it's so hard to explain, but I'm going to try my best to do it because I, I, think it's a, a, I think it's a fun way to do it. You want to breathe when the forest breathes or breathes when the desert, when the desert breathes. It's such a, the qualities that make a forest a forest or a desert a desert. It's that same envelopment that feels like it's breathing. It feels like when you walk into a forest or a park or a, a natural space that is, again, just encapsulated in its own, it feels like it's breathing. You can feel the pulsing environment. And it's not just the tree. It's not just the soil. It's not just the plant. It's everything. It's the fact that you are enveloped in this natural space, which is breathing entirely on its own and if breathing is not the word then pulsing or vibrating or something something is clearly happening when you step into these spaces and you're able to feel the vibration of you know a space and it's it's it's, it's like a radiance I, i i really do believe that there's a there's a way you can do that for yourself and the way that i've been doing it recently because there's so many different different paths i have been I teach this to my daughter too. I have been thinking about each individual cell in my body and how happy they are and how perfectly in place they are and how that cell touches another cell and how those cells collect to form this gigantic mass and how this gigantic mass forms into this organ and how this organ is helping on this level and here's me and my body and You know, and here I am inside of the space. So I'm inside the space as well. And we're all just collectively doing our deep breathing exercises and watching the world breathe. That's the only way that I've been able to tap into it recently. And I'm sure that will change because this was very different from when I was younger. But for now, tapping into on a cellular level, like this cartoonish almost, right? And it has to be cartoonish because I'm teaching this to my daughter. So I, I tell her about smiley faces and cells and happiness and how you can kind of harness that in one individual location and that can grow to form this collective growing light that's very warm and very nurturing and inviting. Mm. I, I think that's the, 
the yeah. <laughs> that's a fun way for for not just yeah not just kids but also yeah. grown-ups to to reconnect with the childlike yeah. part of ourselves that we forget yeah and being mindful of where we come from and and who we are as an, a nature body made of cells as you were saying and I, I wanted you you already said this a bit but if you want to maybe express more what ancestor would you like to be and what is the word you envision in the future my hope and my my desire my goal is to be an ancestor who has tried i want to be able to go back into the earth saying i tried i did not give in to despair i did not give in to paralysis i did not give in to bitterness and hate, I've really tried to maintain happiness and love. And I really tried to grow that. And I really tried to share that with people everywhere as much as I can. And I really tried to pass that lesson on to my daughter. And and, and just, I, I want to be able to say that in the face of all of the things we could have talked about, right? We could have talked about the state of the world. We could have talked about all of the terrible things that exist because they do exist. There's there's always going to be that darkness. But I, I think I want to hyper-focus now, especially as a mother, I want to be able to say that I've passed on a legacy of dreaming and I've passed on a legacy of belief and I've passed on the ability to have faith and hope and love in spite of all of the things that <laughs> are often trying to clamp that out. I want to be able to say that that's what I passed on. This is so beautiful. And I think you are in the right path for oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so glad that we, and thank you again for, for reaching out. I'm so glad that we were able yeah. to reconnect and it feels very much like at the right time, you know, yeah, nature reoriented true. us. So that way we're in the perfect time to talk. That's true. I don't know if you want to add something to the podcast. Um, there's not. Oh, I, I think one thing I could do, if it's okay with you, I can call out how people around the world can help us. Um, yeah. Yeah, oh, of that course. That would be so good. Of course. Uh, so if anybody yeah, is yeah, yeah. interested in either visiting or being part of our collective remotely, we are, again, we're, we're just people, everyday people who believe in envisioning a better reality for nature and for humans. I honestly believe that as much as I'm doing physical work in person at the desert, as much as my mom is doing it, my daughter and my friends and our neighbors, as much as we're doing the physical earth care, and we also need the support of people to just quietly think about us as they're going through their day. We also need the support of people to say, oh, let me share this story of what, you know, Billy Marie and her friends and her family are doing. We also need the support of people to turn attention and energy towards our project so that way we can continue and be able to reach a certain momentum uh, where we actually actualize this vision of a forest, an oasis in the desert. I, I think it's such a, <laughs> so this is actually a spiritual ask. I think if there's just time in your day and you as a listener, if you can 
remember that we're just random people in the desert, you know, quietly going out about our day. If you can tap into that awe and direct it towards us, I honestly believe that that would help more than any other ask, any other, <laughs> any other thing that a person could do if there's just the ability to, to keep us, you know, keep us in mind and keep that good energy going. That would be, that would be amazing. And to have that globally would be amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your words. It was so inspiring, so inspiring. Oh, I'm so glad. No, thank you for doing what you're doing because, again, I, I think stories are an important part of how we shift reality, and I, I, I honor what you're doing and what you're, what you're accomplishing. So I, I'm very, I'm honestly, I, and you've seen me in the comments, right? I, I'm always rooting for your success. I really, I, really, I really hope the best. Thank you so much. The podcast is coming to an end. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Terra Stories on Instagram at terrastories.studio and on LinkedIn. If you liked the episode, talk about it around you, share it with your friends. That's the thing that would give the biggest boost to the podcast. And don't hesitate to write me about the topics or personalities you'd like me to invite or address. I wish you a beautiful day or evening.